Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Ganan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Okay, hello Marina. Good morning, Misha. How are you today? I feel tired. Tired? Why? My thinking is not structured, as it as it generally is. And does that make you tired when your thinking is not structured? <laughs> yeah, like when you wake up every day with incredible clarity and structured and, and systematic way of thinking and approaching things you kind of get used to it you think it's your special power right even though it's not uh the natural design of the mind yes for sure right. but it took me literally years to change the natural design of my mind to become a clear and structured thinker you can't change the design misha come on I know I cannot change the biological design, but I mean, it took me years to quiet my mind. No, it took you years to condition your mind a certain way. For sure. <laughs> to, re to recondition, right? So but I was... No, 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 no. The natural design is not a conditioning. So the conditioning happens on top of the design. So it took you many years to condition your mind to operate a certain way, but it's always tiring, always. I disagree. I think it took me years to strip off the conditioning to go back to how it was before. That's a different thing then. So let me ask you something. Do you think that according to the natural design of the mind, while working through the natural design and flowing in the natural design without conditioning, our thinking is structured? It depends on what you mean by structured. When I say structured, specifically for me, it's a sense of clarity and peacefulness and quietness. Okay, then yes. And so when you say my thinking is not structured right now, it's because it's not quiet. So you yes. have a busy mind right now. Yes. And this is very tiresome. Yes, I agree. It is very <laughs> tiresome. I agree. You know, I remember a conversation I had with one of my sons in which he was telling me, <clears throat> you know, mom, the, the Chinese wall did not work because it needed too much maintenance and it was too expensive to maintain. And so they could not give it <clears throat> the maintenance it needed. And mm -hmm. so the, the project failed. And he went really quiet after a while, said, I guess the same thing happens with the heart, right? Whatever we build around it to protect it takes too much effort to maintain and it eventually will crumble down yeah isn't that sweet yeah 
these kids, they have so much wisdom. I know. Yeah. I know the world of little kids is just infused with wisdom, isn't it? Yeah. Like yesterday, my son told my wife, like, why are you anxious? There is no monster around. <laughs> oh, and she's like, did you talk to your father again? And he's like, no. <laughs> it's just obvious. Like, why would you be so anxious about anything? There is no real threat. Right. And she's like, holy moly. Right. No, that's true. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> That's fun. But yes, you're right. Maintaining a conditioning is high maintenance. Yeah. Maintaining an ego, a belief, a story, a life takes a lot of work, takes a lot of effort and creates a lot of suffering also. Yeah, so true. That's okay. I hear the sound in the background. That's, that's normal. Like we, we all like in my office yesterday, they, uh, they brought this new treadmill and I was recording the podcast. They have created so much noise. And I, I realized that, Hey, I want to react and I had to quiet myself. Right. Not to react to that. And also we were speaking about this book that um, my kids and I were listening to a while back that is called The Girl Who Drank the Moon. Sounds like a beautiful title. What an image. Yeah. I was like, even the title is so catchy. I know. Yeah. And there is, there is one skill that I'm kind of proud of having it is the skill of copywriting copywriting is words that you write in a way that they convince or persuade the reader ah. and generally what you want to accomplish with copywriting is that you want to create incredible sense of interest and curiosity in the beginning and you need to maintain this level of interest so you can persuade the person towards the the idea or towards a certain belief so even having this title the girl who drank the moon is already amazing like hey how you drink the moon yeah it makes you wonder I agree. Yeah. It spikes your curiosity. And the whole book is, it has technically three stories or three lines of stories. One story is kind of the main plot where there was a city and, oh, by the way, am I spoiling <laughs> for you? No, not at all. Please go for it. <laughs> yeah. So there was a city and... This city was ruled by ignorant people. And these ignorant people, they didn't know that they were ruled by evil witches. And these evil 
witches, they were drinking the positive thoughts, like they were creating a void, and this void will take all positive from the city. And this is how they maintained themselves and lived through centuries and centuries. And the whole city didn't know what's wrong with like with them. They had like they suffered, they had dull lives, they hated their like ignorant seniors. And they lived day after day. And they had strange tradition that was made up by this evil witch. Every year they had to sacrifice a child. They had to leave this child in the woods. And in order to protect the city from evil witch. In fact, that witch was not evil. And she was very kind. And every time when she would find a child in the woods, she would save the child and bring it to the happy city. And she will find best parents for the child. And as she is going through the woods in order to make sure that this child lives happily ever after, she will feed the moonlight to this little small baby. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah, and one one day, um, again, on that day when the city would sacrifice the child, she picked her up. And this girl was so, so beautiful that this witch accidentally, but somewhat intentionally, allowed the child to drink a bit more of the moonlight than needed. Okay, and that changed everything. And that literally changed everything because um, what happened, this little child had some extrasensoric abilities, like her mom was, she was not a witch, but she had some powers. And that power is connected to the moonlight. And she started drinking and drinking and drinking. So the witch had to keep her like in her house and tell her, you are my granddaughter. Because she could not now bring this girl to the city. She became too powerful. Okay. So that's the story. And then... Um, the story goes how this girl will go back and find her mother. And it's like all intertwined and really, really interesting. But what is... Now amazing... you're going to spoil it for, for our listeners. Don't. Yes. Don't. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to do that. What is incredible about all of that is the second line of the book. And the second line is a... A creature who has who is witch's best friend who literally has created everything. So this creature that come out of the mud is an observer of everything that is happening in the story. 
But you said it was the creator as well. Yes. So the, the, the creature is the creator, is her best friend, the witches, the good witch's best friend, and someone who really loves the girl, the witch, the dragon who lives with them, and all the world. Okay. And he calls himself a poet. Okay. And he, every time when he gets a question, he tries to explain it with incredible deep wisdom. And he would generally say, uh, once a poet said, uh-huh. and he explains, but then the girl figures it out and says, oh, you are the poet. And he is solemn and modest and he doesn't acknowledge that it is he who is a poet and he doesn't he is not pretentious so he keeps going with his wisdom and philosophy and it is so deep and so incredible that it soothes the reader even when you are when you see how, for example, this real mother of this girl, how she suffers and and loses her mind, the voice of the poet soothes the reader and you feel that that eventually everything will be fine. So that's the second line. It is so beautiful. It's just incredible. And the third line was even awesomer. (laughs) Okay. The girl who is the granddaughter, she got or became so strong that she literally warps the air around her and magic through all over the places literally flows to her. And since her grandmother is a magical creature herself, magic from her and her life power goes to this girl. So this is the idea of imminent death. So it's actually a story of birth of something incredible, how this girl connects with her mom and creates happy world but also incredibly sad because the grandma, this kind witch who for, who for centuries used to help people, now has to go. And with her friend who will take her to the bog. So this story is so deep and the way this witch takes her death is so noble and incredible. And so warm. Yeah, so it's one of the best books I ever listened to. So we, we had an audiobook. Okay. And I think it's must read for any adult and any child alike. Beautiful. I think I will get it for my kids then. You should. It's good for any age, literally. Like, you know, my, my kids are um, eight and six and they loved it. And I loved it as well. And my wife loved it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I didn't share the 
kind of the, the, the core insight. The idea of layers. The author of the book is a great teacher. And I think that the quality of a great teacher, like number one quality of, of a great teacher is seduction. What she does, she actually, so I think the, this book was printed literally in millions of copies. And she got to humans' minds that are not yet corrupted. And the way she has done it is through pure seduction in a very positive way. So tell me about seduction. What is the essence? What is the nature of seduction? The nature of seduction is by giving you what you want, give you what you need. That is a really, really cool thing. Yeah, I think it's, that's why I love copywriting so much. That's the idea. A lot of people and clients who come to me, they think they want better cars, more money, better houses, but they live with something else. They live with peace of mind, with mental health, with emotional well-being, with peacefulness, with absolutely different perspective on the world. And they eventually forget that the first place they came over was because they just needed a new car. No? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pure objectives, the pure goals that we have touched on before. And you see, if you are, if you can seduce so well, like it doesn't really matter how you feed someone, how you give them really important nutrients. For instance, this author, so she has, she has created this poet who would share the philosophy, who would share the important stuff. But at the same time, she could say, okay, now it's an insect who say jokes. And within jokes, you will have everything she really wanted to say. Beautiful. Yeah. It's like getting incredible Christmas present and you see it under your fir tree and it's so like well-packed and, you know, beautiful colors. So you don't know what is inside, but you are already excited. You want to unwrap the present. You unwrap it and now you have no escape. The present is yours. Beautiful. Yeah. You have been integrated in the present. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Basically, the present was downloaded or uploaded into your mind or into your consciousness. Yeah. It's interesting how that happens, huh? How we, we sometimes get what we need through what we think we want. And sometimes it's exactly the opposite. 
know, by trying to avoid something, we get what we need. Yeah. I used to feel ashamed of my and every human's being bio and evolutional drive. What do so you mean? Each human being has this innate drive for resources. Like we want to make our lives comfortable. We want to be in warm places. We want to have or, and live in abundance. We want to have enough food. We want to be protected. We want to be sheltered. We need safety. And this is our biological and evolutional drive. But at the same time, we want exploration and excitement and yes. reaching limits. With and that, that's the... I like the idea of three systems. The first systems is what we call uh, f flight, fight, or freeze, right? The second system is the drive. And the third system is soothing and rest. So we play and we explore and we build when we are in the third system. And the way our body is designed is when we are in flight, freeze, or fight, we, the process works the way that it actually circumvents your thinking ability and goes directly to reaction. Like if we say, okay, you now have the emotion, do you have time to process the emotion mindfully or cognitively? You don't. It goes beyond your cognition, immediately launching the reaction. And we, we have experienced that many times. We see the car approaching fast, we freeze, or we try to cross the road faster, right? So the, the next system is our thirst, right? Thirst for more in order to feel comfortable, in order to have our genes passed from generation to generation, right? And the third one would be the reflection, relaxation, soothing, love, etc. So I started with the idea of shame before I understood how the systems work. I thought, why do I want to make money if I'm so a spiritual person? If like, if I'm spiritual, why I'm driven to get more, to feel safer? So I was against this part of me that was driven by my body. I just wanted like, you know, I am safe, but I didn't feel so. I have everything I need, but I didn't think so, right? And I realized that for many, like literally for millions, still for millions of people, you cannot expect spiritual seeking from them because their physical life is a literal mess. They might live in war zones. They literally need to, keep, to think every day how they're going to feed their families tomorrow. And 
it is not a time for spirituality. No matter what anyone says, the evolution and biological drive is so hard. You cannot get rid of it. Like, Buddha is not someone who struggled with feeding himself as a child or as, you know, 18 years old teenager. He was coming from wealthy family who realized there is suffering in the world. I used to have a dog. It was Doberman. And we had this dog trainer. So we hired uh, this lady and she was incredible. Like she was number one person in um, dog agility training in our country. And I, I was a little boy, but I still remember something she said. She told us, don't do threatening and stupid things with your dog until it turns two years old. What do you mean by threatening and stupid things? For, for instance, she said, until it turns to like one and half years old, do not show the dog fireworks. Do not launch the fireworks beside the dog. Don't threaten the dog or don't beat the dog because it will destroy the character. You will have fearful dog instead of your protector. So we followed her advice and our dog has grown into incredible animal, incredibly smart, always protecting us, never afraid of anything. You know, if you launch the fireworks beside, it will not even fling. So the idea was, while you're still growing, you need to be safe, warm, fed and full. You need to be loved. You need to be soothed. And this is how you allow yourself to grow strong in character. Because you see, we had this stupid idea that if it doesn't break you, it makes you stronger by Nietzsche, right? In fact, if it tries to break you when your character is just only forming, even when it doesn't break you, it traumatizes you, it scars you. But if your character has already been formed, you will not react so terribly to new challenges in your life. You will withstand because your character is strong from within. I understand. I understand. And I recognize and validate that possibility, but I think there are more. It is not, it is never a, this is how it is. For sure. Thing, yes. Right. And it is not very practical, right? Like, yes, that's good in theory, but hey, you know, life can be ugly. Yeah. Like I had, a, I, we had a dog that was the most loving, protective, intelligent animal I have ever met in my life. But we adopted him when he was over a year old 
Mm-hmm. He was, he had been the most abused dog you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. When we got him, he had marks of belts all over his skin. He had a nervous skin reaction that it took us over a year to get rid of. He had been stabbed. He had no nails because he was always trying to run away. So he was always scratching the walls yeah. and, and the rocks and anything he could find. Um, he was, he was terrified. Mm-hmm. terrified. You could not move fast near him because he would, he would literally lose control of his bladder. And mm-hmm. uh, after a while he became the most amazing animal you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Incredibly loving, incredibly patient, but fiercely protective. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and and I think with us human beings it's the same like your your circumstance will never ever determine who you are or what you are. Yeah, this is something I totally agree with. Yeah. And we have the the gift of consciousness and the gift of understanding and so when we are able to look at how we operate and and discover the facts that we are never our story, we are never our circumstance or the sum of our circumstances. We are never our thoughts of our beliefs. They just play out in our lives. We become free. It reminds me of a metaphor I read a few weeks back about a zebra and a lion. The difference between us and zebras is that zebras do not emotionally suffer because a lion tried to eat them yesterday. There you go. Like, you know, today is a new day for zebra. She is not worried that yesterday she literally had to run for a few miles to get rid of the lion. Right. Like she's not damaged. She doesn't feel that, hey, you know what? I better be this. Or if I was running away from lion, it means I'm a coward. <laughs> and understanding, Misha, understanding that we will never not be prepared for the present moment. Because in us, we have absolutely everything we need to deal with the present. Yeah. But we do not have what it takes to deal with the past or the future. Yeah. Again, yes. it just frees us from so much and brings us to the essentials. Yesterday I was reading stats. It was very disturbing stats. And basically the these stats say that Every third woman in a third world country was raped at some point of her life. And they have run these stats on literally 
tens of thousands of women. So it is, it is just crazy. And some of them were raped multiple times. And then something was even more disturbing. Every third man that this woman will meet, sorry, every second man that this woman will meet later in her life, at some point of his life, participated in individual or group rape. Imagine that. I was so shocked. Like, I, I literally felt like ready to cry, you know, when I was reading that. It's so bad. And they will never know it. Like, they obviously, the, the men will never acknowledge or will tell, hey, you know what? I know you've been raped at some point of time. And I've been once a raper myself. So while women are likely to come out later in their lives, they're, they're 200% more likely than men. Wow. Yeah. It's like, obviously, neither sides cannot be proud of that that happens in their earlier lives. But men will never come out with that. Like they will never acknowledge, even though they can be ashamed, they can feel guilty. But, and you know, like I was reading the anonymous kind of concessions. The guy was saying that I just can't tell my wife that at some point this is what I've done. And the burden of not being able to speak about it must be huge, right? Yes. We so urgently need to develop systems and cultures in which we can talk about what is human. Because otherwise you just perpetuate the problem. I mean, part of why it keeps happening is that it is not addressed. Yeah. So the importance of actually addressing. And I want to make a very clear distinction here, Misha. Addressing is not dwelling. Mm. You're saying not just living with it as it is normal? That's, that's what you want to say? No, what I mean is we have been ignoring the problem. Yeah. This one and many more. Because we do not want to dwell on them. You know, like when we want to face something from our past, we don't want to face it because we don't want to dwell on the past. So we rather ignore it. Yeah. But but we miss the fact that it is not about dwelling, it is about addressing, so that it does not determine your life anymore, so that it is not manifesting your life anymore. And so whatever we are keeping hidden personally, individually, or you know, in terms of family or in terms of couple or in terms of society will grow until it is seen. It will. You know what was the most disturbing part for me when I was reading these anonymous kind of concessions? This person, this, this uh, I think the man, but I, it's like it's impossible to identify whether it was a man or a woman who was participating in this um, group rape. 
he said that even though that happened only once, he enjoyed it. And till now, he gets excited by the thought that he can enter a woman without her consent. And he said, like, I feel ashamed of it. I, sh I feel ashamed of these thoughts, but I do have them. And association I had in my mind, I have, I have this client, I think, I don't remember if we discussed that. So, and I asked my client permission if I can share that publicly. So he came to me with a food fetish. He basically said, like, Misha, I cannot function when I see a woman with beautiful feet. I mean, it was kind of like one of the, you know, funniest uh, inquiries I ever had as a coach. But I mean, he, quite unique, yes. Yeah, but he was not like, for him, like when I started laughing, like he said, no, this is not funny. Like, this is really bad. And I'm like, okay, like, tell me more what, why it is bad. He said, like, I literally, and look, I can relate. I like everything beautiful, like hands, eyes, noses, ears, whatever, just bring me all of that. But I guess the intensity of how he feels it is so different to the normal way. And she said, when I look at someone I sympathize with or a woman, I want her to take off her shoes. <laughs> and I pray like inside my head. So she takes off her shoes and I can see her feet. Until it is done, I cannot quiet my mind. But once she does it, like once I just see at least once how her feet looks like, I'm fine. Like the tension goes away. I feel relaxed, etc. And he said that that turns him on really, really lots. And he's like, ah, yeah, like, can you help me? And last time, so he's sitting in the, in the boardroom. So he runs a very big company. He's, he's in, he sits in the boardroom and one of the, um, uh, managers, she came in flip-flops and he says like, I need to explain the really important strategy to the whole team, but I try to position myself in a certain angle so I could see her feet. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting. And that, and he says like, that destroyed the whole experience. And he's like, can you diagnose what's wrong with me? And I was speechless, like, because I, I, I never had inquiry like that. And uh, obviously I told him that you can have as many thoughts as, as you want. You don't have to react to the thoughts and you can feel the urge. You can feel the desire and you can feel that in your body. So you can embody the desire. And also you can recognize if you want, if you're in a safe place, that you're attracted, that's fine. 
And uh, if like if it's your wife, she will accept it probably. So that's fine. But then I went to talk to someone who really understands what's going on. So there is a professor um, at I think University of Wisconsin who studied something different. He studied the phenomena of phantom limbs. When someone loses part of the body, but still feels the part of the body. And specifically, he was studying people who lost one or two legs and still can feel the legs. And what he found out is that the center in your brain that is responsible for your feet is located above your sexual arousal center. And so many, like foot fetish is big. Like it's a lot of people, you know, they born like that. So he was praised for this discovery. And the theory is, it just happens that your like the neurological path for your feet and the principle your and your attention to feet, etc. It's just a little bit above your arousal center. So sometimes they intertwine. Makes absolute sense, no? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, it's not your fault. You were just created this way. Before the main theory was you were a toddler and you were crawling and your mother was bare feet. <laughs> That was the main theory. Right. Something must have happened. Yes. Yeah. But it, it just like, you know, doesn't make any sense, doesn't have empirical evidence. Yeah. But that one, that discovery, and I explained that to to my client and I shown him the the evidence. And he was so relieved. He said, Oh, so it's not that I've done something wrong. Oh man. Such yeah. compassion. Yeah. So he's like, it's just, he's like, oh, it just happened so. And now I'm aware of my design and I feel relieved. Of course. So interesting. Awareness as a transformation agent. Yeah. And acceptance as well. Yeah. Yeah. Compassion towards yourself. So why I'm talking about that back to this person you might, due to hundreds of reasons, genetical, biological, or psychological, you might have this urge to enter the woman without consent. And maybe it's not that something is wrong with you, but you don't have to react. You might have your values well, that's instilled in you. That's the whole point of the discussion, no? realizing that you don't have to act out your thoughts. Yes. It is not mandatory. You have, yeah. you have a possibility of not acting them out yeah. and, and yet allow them to happen. Yeah. And I mean, look, if you got consent to wrestle, <laughs> you know, good luck. Just do it. 
Yeah. But if your values are for being, you know, lover of humans, helping them, being compassionate towards yourself, being a good person, kind person, virtuous, etc. So act on your values instead of your desires, urges, and thoughts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, Marina, what is the topic of our today's conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, it went a little bit everywhere. It went a little bit everywhere, but you know what I keep coming back to? Even within the story of the little girl who drank the moon. Yeah. Is that we are fundamentally all right. We all are. Every single one of us are fundamentally all right. And when we know that we are, we get relief and we get freedom. Yeah. And we all always have a choice. We can suffer our humanity or celebrate it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that celebrating it is acting it out. Yes. Right. So again, no amount of self-improvement can give you what a moment of self-acceptance can. So true. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Misha. This was fun. That was really interesting. It was. Thank See you. you next time. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.